Sounds like the future. Welcome to episode three of this podcast from Purdue University's College of Engineering. Our observation of the college's proud past and bold aspirations brings us this month to the School of Electrical and Computer Engineering. Our guest is Dr. Kaushik Roy, whose leadership of the Nanoelectronics Research Laboratory places him at the center of the university's strengths in pioneering collaborations on nanoscale technologies. His team's interdisciplinary vision for artificial intelligence and autonomous intelligence systems has attracted international researchers and corporations pursuing a milestone called brain-inspired computing. He describes Purdue's exciting role here in conversation with your podcast host, journalist Bill Schmidt. Koshik Roy, you're the uh, Edward G. Tiedemann, Jr., Distinguished Professor in Electrical and Computer Engineering, uh, and you've been on the faculty uh, of the College of Engineering since 1990 or so? Uh, yeah, it's been 93, uh, okay. and more than 25 years, been that's, a long time. Yeah, that's great, and so you've, you've seen a lot of change and been at the forefront of a lot of it, a large part of that being um, in your leadership of the Nanoelectronic Research Laboratory, am I right? Uh, that's basically the research laboratory that I have, and uh, most of my students have been working uh, in the area of uh, you know, uh, nanotechnology, and I'm taking the liberty of using nanotechnology to really mean not just uh, nano devices, but also correspondingly the nano arch architectures that, you know, competing architectures that come with it, and possibly the algorithms that we develop, which are suitable for some of these uh, implementations using these nanotechnologies or nano devices. Mm. With, the, with the special applications in uh, uh, computer architecture uh, and autonomous intelligence systems being enabled by those uh, architectures? That, that's correct. I mean, more recently, we've been focusing on, you know, artificial intelligence, neuromorphic computing, and uh, to that effect, we're looking at, uh, you know, we're looking across the stack, going all the way from uh, algorithms, learning algorithms, uh, which are more sort of quote-unquote brain-like to give you energy efficiency. Uh -huh. uh, and then we're also looking at uh, the hardware that can possibly implement some of those uh -huh. uh, and uh, in, uh, in a more efficient way. Uh, at least whatever, whatever little that we know of the brain, the brain probably doesn't use a von Neumann computing architecture. The von Neumann architecture is where you have the memory and the computing unit separate, and you actually bring, you know, data from the computing unit, uh, uh, from the memory into the computing unit to do computations. Mm -hmm. Whereas, uh, you know, a brain we don't have a memory on one side of the computation on the other side. Right. Uh, so it's all mixed up in some interesting ways. You know, computation being done in the memory itself in some interesting ways. So we're looking at, you know, interesting architectures to do. In a computation in memory, so that these algorithms that we're developing, which are sort of brain-like or brain-inspired algorithms, are quite suitable for that. Yeah. And uh, and and at the end of it, that's not it. Uh, you know, we certainly don't have uh, you know the neurons and synapses of the brain. So we are also looking at uh, devices that can potentially mimic uh, the operations of these neurons and synapses with different biofidelity. And uh, these devices, if they can be implemented in some interesting ways into these, uh, you know, in-memory computing architecture that I just uh, mentioned, mm. that can potentially give you a large improvement in energy consumption and hopefully can also lead to better algorithms that we can develop. Fascinating. 
That's fascinating. So all of this is embodied in one of the newer units of your laboratory, right? And that unit is called CBRIC, the Center for Brain-Inspired Computing. Uh, yes. Uh, I don't know if I should call it a separate unit. Actually, it's, oh. a, uh, it's a center. It's a JUMP center. JUMP stands for Joint uh, um, uh, University Microelectronics Program, uh -huh. which is actually a program which is from uh, DARPA and, uh, and 14 other industries involved in it. Wow. Uh, and uh, so uh, uh, this is actually a center funded by, again, uh, DARPA and these 14 other industries. Uh, and that's what the Center for Brain Inspired Computing is, which actually has, uh, I think, about uh, eight, nine universities involved, uh, which includes, I mean, Purdue being the lead, and I'm the director of that center. Uh, and uh, then we have, uh, you know, Georgia Tech, uh, we have uh, MIT, we have Princeton, we have Illinois, uh, then we have Arizona State, USC, and Portland State University, uh, and UPenn. Uh, and these are all these universities involved. There are 19 faculty, and interestingly, uh, about 120 PhD students involved in this. Oh, my thing. goodness. Yes, yeah, certainly one of the themes of our podcast series is the uh, uh, interdisciplinarity, the uh, collaborative uh, nature of uh, engagement with, uh, within the campus environment and really worldwide, and you're really embodying that in your laboratory. Uh, we uh, hope so. We certainly have... Uh, uh, you know, uh, several universities uh, in Seabrick involved, uh, you know, all across the U.S. Uh, and as I said, about 120 PhD students. Uh, they're working all across the, you know, the computing stack, as I mentioned, going all the way from algorithms, you know, hardware architecture, uh, down to devices uh, that can, as I said, mimic the neuron and the synaptic operations in some interesting ways. Mm. Yeah. And with yielding particular advantages in... Uh, I, because of DARPA's interest, I guess that it, there there would be a, a, a military and defense uh, um, applications. Yes, uh, and also including really commercial interest because I think that the fourteen other industries involved, forty percent of the funding comes from DARPA, and uh, you know the rest comes from these fourteen other industries. That's something. That includes uh, IBM, Intel, uh, you know Micron, uh, analog devices. Uh, and some of the defense industries like Northrop Grumman, uh, Lockheed Martin, uh, you know, Raytheon. Uh, and also we have, uh, you know, uh, industries from outside uh, like TSMC, which is the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Corporation, or Samsung from Korea, uh, you know, SK Hynix and so on. And all of that coordination of all of that input uh, kind of ultimately falls on your shoulders, eh? Uh, in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot. But uh, uh, I know that Purdue's whole spirit is one of kind of collaborative uh, engagement. Uh, absolutely. And that's something that, uh, you know, which is an exciting part of this uh, center. We have, uh, you know, uh, PIs the, uh, from uh, uh, neurocomputing and neuroscience to machine learning, uh, people working in computer science, uh, uh, in mechanical engineering, uh, in mathematics, down to, of course, electrical engineering. Yeah. And the, all of these companies, uh, among their, their interests, uh, is, is simply the fact that we're in the uh, early days of cognitive computing, uh, so to speak, and 
uh, that's really kind of the launching pad for a next generation of artificial intelligence? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, we all know that uh, you know machine learning and the word deep learning we keep hearing all the time uh, has certainly made a huge amount of progress in the recent past. But sometimes the question is at what cost? There's a huge amount of energy consumption required for you know training and inference. Uh, and uh, to that effect, the question is that is it possible that I take some cues from whatever little that we know of the brain? Uh, can we really have the right kind of neuronal functionality? Uh, can we have the right kind of synaptic uh, learning? Can I do localized learning? Can I do global learning in some ways? You know, what kind of architecture of the brain that whatever little that we know can be effectively utilized in implementing these in my CMOS or other emerging you know, devices? You know, can I effectively use some of those in order to not only come up with new learning techniques, new learning uh, algorithms mm -hmm. you know, inspired by neuroscience, but also to be able to actually come up with the right hardware where these algorithms are going to be implemented uh, to be able to get these huge energy improvement that we need. You know, whatever uh, you know, the, today's systems are, uh, interestingly, uh, these systems are today uh, about you know, uh, 10 to the 3 to 10 to the 4 times energy inefficient really? compared to the brain. Uh, and so there's a need for really uh, you know, thinking in terms of energy. Uh, a few other things, that's not it. You know, today's systems are also, if you really think about it, the AI or the machine learning systems of today, uh, you know, when we design these neural networks, they're like a black box. Uh, sometimes we don't know why they don't work, and sometimes we don't know why they work so well. Right? Mm -hmm. So there's a need for really thinking about uh, doing more of, uh, you know, theoretical an analysis, understanding of it, to be able to actually design systems which are robust. You know, you don't want to sort of have a self-driving car with these systems where uh, the robustness is in question. I mean, these are mission-critical applications. Yeah. And in any one of those mission-critical applications, it's absolutely important that uh, we know uh, the robustness of such systems. We can evaluate the vulnerabilities of these systems. And uh, if you're not able to do that, I think the widespread uh, deployment of uh, you know, such algorithms is going to be very, very difficult. Interesting. Would you say that the uh, autonomous vehicle is one of the top two or three target uh, product areas that, uh, that is, is seen here? Um, uh, yes, absolutely. I mean, this is uh, certainly an interesting area. I mean, there's been a huge amount of work that has been going on. Uh, and, uh, you know, we might think we are ready, but, uh, you know, I don't, I don't believe we can be there in the next, uh, you know, five years or so. Right. Uh, it's uh, certainly going to take more time, uh, more analysis on, uh, you know, robustness of these systems need to be analyzed. Uh, you know, when humans do make a mistake, I mean, we can potentially in a lot of cases accept it. But uh, when the machine makes a mistake, I'm not so sure we are ready yet to accept that. Indeed. Yeah. And, and there's a need for, you know, more understanding of it. We don't have it. We don't mm. have the, uh, you know. Uh, analysis of or be able to actually know the robustness of some of these systems yet. Interesting, yeah. And I imagine that one of the uh, needs or one of the ways to, to fill uh, the need you describe is simply a, a real explosion in uh, um, interdisciplinarity that where, where you're bringing in all kinds of engineering fields and all kinds of compu uh, computer expertise 
and uh, car maker expertise and, and uh, defense. And uh, uh, could you maybe just give us an idea of how expansive uh, this it, interdisciplinary it be, yeah, is? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, if you really think about it, uh, uh, we don't understand sort of the learning and the algorithms of the brain yet. Huh? Um, so there's a need for really, uh, you know, coming up with the right kind of algorithms. That's one. Uh, which are sort of quote-unquote brain-inspired. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, I would also like to mention that uh, this brain inspiration or bioplausibility is really a means to an end. The idea is to get that energy efficiency if you can. The idea is to get that robustness if you can. So as you can see, that there's a need for really thinking. And, and then as I mentioned, these algorithms need to be implemented in the right kind of hardware to do the right kind of computations can give me energy efficient uh, right. systems. Right. So now, uh, if you really think about the things that I need to look at, we need to look at, we are looking at uh, on one side of it, neuroscience experiments that we are certainly inspired by. Mm -hmm. We're looking at, uh, you know, computational neuroscience on one side. Then on the other side of it, as I mentioned, robustness of these systems, and that yeah. requires proper mathematical analysis of these systems. So math turns out to be quite important. And then, yeah. of course, that leads to also algorithms and computer science, uh, the you know related areas which are important. Uh, and then, of course, hardware architectures and devices, and that leads to more of electrical engineering. So it's a really yeah. an interdisciplinary area. And in fact, in our center, we also have somebody from you know, mechanical engineering, you know, we're flying drones and all. Indeed, their, right. Uh, you know, expertise from these other areas also come into picture. Uh-huh. Ah. Uh, you know, when you're flying a drone, I mean, uh, sort of you have to uh, certainly look at mechanical stability on one side of things, but also on the other side of it. You know, when you're flying and you want to fly fast, you need to make your computations within the drone itself in a very energy efficient fashion so that you can fly fast, avoid obstacles and make, uh, uh, you know, when you have a bunch of drones flying together, make a collective decision. Yes. And that also leads to a distributed intelligence to be able to do that. Yeah. So that's something which is uh, you know, quite exciting and there's a lot more work to be done. Ah. And has Purdue as a university proven to be especially adept at kind of being at the helm for all of this interdisciplinarity? Um, absolutely. I mean, we have uh, you know, at Purdue, I mean, uh, it's a huge engineering school. Uh, we have... Uh, uh, every engineering department that you can potentially think of. And then we have certainly uh, areas like, you know, physics, chemistry, math, uh, we are pretty strong at. So I think we can uh, certainly take advantage of the fact that uh, we have uh, expertise in different areas. And to that effect, we certainly have three or four faculty in our center from, uh, from Purdue who are, uh, you know, in involved in uh, 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 the Center for Brain-Inspired Computing. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts about how nanotechnology and uh, nanoelectronics um, have evolved since your early days of experience with it in, in, in uh, what, 93? Huh? Uh, so, and I, as I recall, um, uh, the, uh, there's a nanohub.com that kind of reflects a collaborative effort that Purdue led early on and that continues to this day. They, it, it's a hugely collaborative field. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, you know, this is, this is quite interesting, you know, how things have evolved. And when I look at, uh, look at my career and <laughs> my colleagues, when I joined Purdue at that time, I mean, we didn't really have the 
uh, World Wide Web, uh, you know, right. uh, and and then things got started around that time. I still remember using Mosaic, one of those uh, tools that uh, that uh, you know University of Illinois developed. I graduated from there, and then um, uh, the, and, and then we were using transistors at that time. We thought were you know so much scaled down. They were down to about 130, you know, point one three microns or so. And uh, and we thought that hey, we, you know, people thought that it's going to be very very difficult to scale, you know, beyond hundred uh, nanometer technology. And um, uh, interestingly enough, um, it's been quite amazing. If I look today, we are down to about ten nanometers. And uh, so these transistors have gotten really smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, certainly, it has not been an easy task. You know, you, you know. Uh, the industries had to really work hard, and so did the universities to be able to really make these uh, devices, uh, you know, extremely, extremely small. And and still, further scaling these devices has been a difficult job. But then again, we're also looking at new kinds of devices that are coming up, uh, which are sort of not transistor-like, uh, memoristive devices, uh, devices that can potentially, uh, you know, as I said, neuromimetic devices, devices that can potentially mimic the neurons and synapses in some interesting ways as a functional unit to do that. And so uh, things have come a long way. And, uh, but that requires, you know, modeling of these devices, that requires uh, the implications of uh, these devices when you try to use them at the higher level, at the architectural level, at the, uh, you know, I mean, how, what kind of algorithms are suited for implementations in some of these architectures and so on. So to that effect, uh, NanoHub certainly has played a, played a very, very important role where we've been able to actually, it's a repository of all the different models uh, and in some cases, uh, you know, a simulation environment for architectures where the researchers from different parts of the world can access the NanoHub, uh, use these nanoscale devices, uh, you know, sim uh, for um, trying to use them and their various applications uh, and uh, look at the potential effect of the usability of these devices in uh, different applications. So mm. that has been a extremely, you know, it's a really great help for not just Purdue, but uh, you know, all across the world. I know it's been a big, big impact that had its roots at Purdue. Though, right? That's correct. Yeah. So lastly, uh, even though we've already, you've, you've mentioned how kind of unpredictable uh, and fast-paced everything is. Uh, can you give us a kind of uh, your own personal expectation and vision of maybe five or ten years down the line, what we might see and how Purdue might be playing a role in creating that future? You know, uh, this is uh, this is always interesting, and predictions are always uh, you know difficult, and people have been always wrong about things. <laughs> <laughs> and interestingly enough, uh, you know. At one time, uh, you know, all the predictions that were made about how much memory do I need, or um, you know, how much I, you know, how much the transistors would be scaled. People have been uh, constantly wrong about it, and not only they've been wrong about it. There's been, you know, technology roadmaps that people have come up with, and uh, you know, we've been, you know, we as a community uh, have been very, very innovative in terms of, you know, me not only meeting those <laughs> uh, those goals, but we've actually done better. Mm. We have come, things have come faster. Uh, than what was predicted. So I think we are in a very, very interesting time now uh, where uh, you know, certainly uh, we're looking at uh, new applications. We have a huge amount of data which is available today. Uh, making sense out of that data turns out to be absolutely important. And to that effect, uh, you know, uh, data collecting, uh, sense making out of those data, you know, making sense out of that data. 
and to be able to really come up with the tools to do that analysis. And artificial intelligence uh, certainly is going to play, I think, is going to play a more and more important role. Um, it hasn't yet been used in very mission critical applications, as you have seen. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think uh, more and more, I think, um, uh, interesting developments are going to happen. And, uh, you know, we are always uh, excited about new innovations coming up. And we, as a community, as I said, uh, um, are, are going to make things happen. Uh, difficult to say exactly what, but I think uh, uh, certainly uh, AI is one area, uh, you know, 5G AI, that, those are definitely areas that you see that uh, huge amount of development that's going to happen and uh, possibly see some of these, uh, you know, new developments into mission critical applications. Uh, certainly in medical applications, things have been used. Uh, in some cases, there are examples of these systems being, uh, you know, better than quote-unquote doctors in, uh, you know, uh, detecting or at least able to predict things in some ways. So uh, I think things are going to happen in that domain uh, more and more. And you're going to see uh, very, very innovative applications coming up mm -hmm. with well, the underlying yeah. technology that have been developed. And uh, thank you for being part of that for so long and uh, with such a, a wonderful team of people and uh, organizations behind you. Uh, that's really exciting. And uh, thank you for taking the time for us today. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Sounds like the future is just beginning. Upcoming episodes will explore the college's other schools and its engineering initiatives geared toward cutting-edge contributions. Our original theme music, More to Come, is by C. Chris Peters. I'm your audio producer, Paul Geesting. See you in the future.